Well, I'm going to start my story this morning uh, with Abraham. And uh, Abraham, you know, is a, is a huge figure in uh, so many religious circles, not only Christianity. You know, we call ourselves the children of Abraham. But the Muslims uh, uphold him greatly, and many, many other religions uphold Abraham. And it's kind of interesting about Abraham. God just, just one night, you know, he was out gazing at the stars, and God approaches him and says, um, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to, you're the, your children are going to be like the stars in the sky and like the sands on the seashore. And you're going to be a blessed man, and many, many people will be blessed because of you. You know, we get in the Old Testament sometimes and say, well, that's way back there. But really, that was a testimony to us because we are blessed right now, today, because of Abraham. And it all started with just a little simple thing. We read in the Bible in Genesis where it says, and Abraham believed God and it was accounted to his righteousness. That was an amazing thing because righteousness is something that we only attribute to God and his righteousness. Yet God declared him righteousness. Why? Because he believed. And that's exactly the same way we become righteous, because of what he did, and now we believe. We believe what he did for us, and we become righteous. Very simple message, but it's a very thorough message. So we start out with Abraham. You know, and he's blessed and everything, and he goes on, and he prospers and everything, and the Lord leads him out of his hometown. He's comfortable and everything, and he leads him on a journey. He doesn't even tell him where he's going. I just want you to pack up and go. He takes his family with him. They figure there was about 75 or so of them. They take off, and they head down into Canaan land, and he shows this land to Abraham, and he says, all this is going to be yours forever. Now, that, that's something that uh, some of the Muslim nations ought to read. Forever. Forever means forever. They're going to get that land back someday. That's, good. That's theirs. It's declared that forever. And so he's, he's in that land. He looks around. He sees it. But then he gets down, and he, he goes and migrates towards Egypt. And then and later on, we see how you know, he has Isaac. We see here is a man being Abraham again, is willing to sacrifice his son, and he's ready to plunge a knife into him, and God stops him, and he says, no. No, he says, you've proven to me. Your faith has been proven to me. You know, now God can do that with his son. Now he can take his son and sacrifice him, because there was a man that was going to do that. The enemy hates that, because he likes to separate us and say, you have no concept of being, you have no chance of being with God, this is all on your own. You better clean up your act, and you better get right with him by what you do, or you're not going to be righteous. You're going straight to hell. That's what the enemy would love it, have us believe. But instead, here is Abraham who's willing to sacrifice his son and says, I'm going to do the same thing. There was a man that did that, and I'm going to do that. But yet we see in Abraham, we see a man that not only did that act that just stands for all time, but also... They go into another country, and he, he's afraid they'll kill him. So he tells the, people, uh, the, the, the leaders that this is my sister. 
you know, this is not my wife, this is my sister, because he's afraid if it was my wife, they're going to kill me, and they're going to get her and take her because she's beautiful, and so this is my sister. Uh, I mean, really, a guy that, uh, Abraham, come on, be steady here. You know, a guy that's willing, he did it twice. You know, uh, uh, that would be like if I told, uh, you know, walking to some place and it was Lynette, I said, no, she's my sister, man. Uh, do what you want with her, you know. I mean, really? Abraham, you do that. But he did that twice. And what we're saying here is that the, the unrighteousness that's in all of us, even a man like Abraham, and so our story goes, you know, he, he has Isaac, and Jacob is born. Jacob has the 12 sons. Uh, he has a son named Joseph. Uh, Joseph uh, sees dreams. God works him through uh, dreams and interpretation of dreams. And uh, they end up in, in Egypt. They have to, there's a huge drought. The only, play, the only people that have any food is the Egyptians. The Egyptians are very good at irrigation. They have a real... Um, real advanced society, and uh, so I have to go there, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stepping ahead of myself a little bit, but, you know, Joseph, he gets, uh, his, uh, his brothers are jealous of him, so they throw him in the pit, uh, these traitors get him, he ends up in Egypt, God shines on him, he uh, becomes uh, uh, favorable to uh, the rulers of Egypt, and he actually ends up second in command. And so now his family is out here starving, and they say, we've got to go to Egypt and get some food. So they come to food, they come to Egypt, get the food, and here is uh, Joseph. His brothers are in front of him, and they don't know it's him. He's probably adorned in some nice clothes and stuff like that. And, you know, to shorten the story up again, they find out it's him, and oh my gosh, uh, you know, they, they hug and everything. And, and Joseph has, has, has the run of the land. He's the second in command in Egypt. But as this progresses, they, the, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, grow in this land, and they grow so fast, and they grow strong. The women can have babies out in the field and pop a baby just like that and probably go back to work. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit. But anyway, uh, finally they're, they're, they, we have a different pharaoh, and he forgets all about Joseph and, and all about the wonderful things he did. And he takes and he says, you know, we've got to get rid of these Jews. They're a problem. Let's make them work harder. Let's put them under submission. And then then they had an edict out, you know, kill the baby boys, so we're not going to be advancing anymore here. And so they end up in Egypt under bondage for 400 and some years. Now, this is God's people. God has said this to Abraham. He says, through these people, I'm going to be blessed in the whole nation. But what happens is they get infiltrated with the Egyptians then the Egyptians, <clears throat> and this is kind of key, the Egyptians have a lifestyle of hundreds and hundreds of gods, false gods. They have gods for their, their crops, their families, uh, weather, you name it, safety, uh, Sex, everything. Uh, they have gods. They have hundreds of gods. And they pray to all these gods. The, the Hebrew people are accustomed to this. 
very, very accustomed to their gods and their worship. They work in their houses, they work around them and everything. Working in their factories, they're building huge, huge cities and buildings and things like that. And so when they go and they, uh, finally the suppression is so bad that they're crying out. They're crying out to God and said, deliver us. Let us out of here. Deliver us. Free us. And this, of course, is when God raises up Moses. Moses is their leader. Moses gets across the Red Sea, miraculously. The sea opens up. They go through the sea. The sea closes up. And they're on dry land. And here they are, safe. God has them. They're his people. What happens now is we're going to go into chapter 19 of Exodus. I'm going to do a little bit of reading here because the reading just explains it so well. We've got to remember that they came out of uh, Egypt with a lot of goods. The Egyptians, after the ten plagues, Pharaoh would not let these people go. This This wasn't easy. Ten plagues, it was frogs and gnats and boils and hay, uh, hail. A uh, river was turned into waters, was turned into blood, all these things. God is showing his power. And he's not only doing that, but he's also showing that the Egyptian gods are goofy gods. They have no power. And he shows that. And he shows himself in a miraculous way that these, he's not only telling the Egyptians, he's telling the Hebrews that these gods that they have are worthless gods. In fact, in some places he tells about these gods that you make, they can't even walk. They know that not only can they deliver you, they can't, they, they, can't, they can't do anything for you, they can't walk, they can't talk, they can't do anything. Ask them a question. See what they say. So he's showing how foolish all these gods are. And so when you get done with the plagues and everything, finally Pharaoh says, let them go. Of course, Pharaoh confesses a couple of times, oh, you're, yes, the God, he, you're God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're God, he's the God, you know, uh, boy, I repent, I was wrong. The minute they take off and they get across, he gets his army and says, let's go after him." So he really didn't repent. <laughs> but now they're on the other side, and they come up to this mount, and they're in the desert, they come up to Mount Sinai, and he gathers them all together. <clears throat> and this is in the third month. Verse 2, it says, uh, They came unto the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there they camped in front of the mountain. And Moses goes up to God, he calls to him the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did, God speaking to him now, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God is really revealing his heart here. We've got to remember that God has had to deal with 2,500 years roughly of just sin. Uh, no, No reprimanding to speak of, no laws to speak of, but he still is intermingling with people. We see all throughout the scriptures in Genesis and later into Exodus how he, he, without the law, he still is loving his people and wants to draw him. And so when he says, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself, bringing them to me, 
I want you to come to me. And when you say when they say bore on eagle's wings, the eagle was a not only we see it as a bird of prey, but it was also a bird. Uh, it was worshipped in Egypt, also even. But it was a bird of comfort, of strength, and of nurturing. <clears throat> so when he said an eagle, an eagle combined all these things. And he says, this is how I brought you out. <clears throat> and verse 5 says, Now, then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. It's kind of interesting right at the end where he says, Oh, by the way, the earth is mine. All these other things that you see happening, the earth is still mine. But he tells him, If you keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. Can you imagine what God, God is thinking right here? What God desires? You know, we, we look so often at our side of things. <clears throat> but look at his heart and mind. You know, he, he designed us to be uh, fellowshiping, fellowshipping with him, to be perfect, to have uh, an engagement with him all the time, just like in the Garden of Eden. But that got lost. He's trying to regain that how is he going to regain that? Just think of what he has to do. He has seen sin so rampant, and we know that the flood came. This is it. I'm flooding the place. You know, I'm not going to put up anymore. And so he does. Well, now he comes back. hundred years later, they build a Tower of Babel. We, just ignore, we ignore God, you know, and it's, it's all coming back. Now, what would he do? What would you do if you were God? I want those people. Now he's reminding them, I carried you with eagle's wings. And I want you, a people, to myself. I'm going to draw you to myself. So this covenant he lays out to him. Lynette and I were talking about, what is this covenant thing? You know, he gave, way back, he gave Abraham an unconditional covenant. An unconditional, or a a grant covenant, some would call. A grant covenant is like, uh, Harley, you work for Grant. See, the name came from Grant. Yeah. Or is it the other way around? <laughs> okay. Let's say you're working for your dad. Every year he gives you a new Ford pickup. Every year. If you're good, you're bad, you quit, you work poorly, you work super good, he's going to give you that pickup no matter what. That's yours. That's a grant covenant. You didn't do anything to earn it, and you didn't do anything. And if you even did something to disearn it, it's still yours. That's a grant covenant. That's an unconditional covenant. This is what he gave Abraham, an unconditional covenant. I'm going to do all these things to you, for you, and because and, you're you. You don't have to do anything to earn it. I'm just going to give it to you. Now we see something here. Lynette and I were talking about this last, and he said, okay, this is this covenant here. So he's, say, he's saying, <clears throat> if you do this, now remember he's not saying if you don't do this. He's saying if you do this, he says, then you shall be my own possession amongst all the people of the earth. <clears throat> now, could this be something like a unconditional covenant with conditional response? How would those people receive that covenant? Well, by obeying. By obeying. 
So their response comes back and says, you know, this is something that uh, maybe we can do. So let's read on here a little bit. He goes on to say in, chapter, in verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Of course, God is telling Moses this. He wants them to be a kingdom of priests and holy nation. Priests are ones that come to the Lord uh, with offerings, with sacrifices, with praise, with glory. That's what he wants them to be. I want a nation of these people. He goes on in 7, So Moses came and called the elders and got them all together. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. They're used to these goofy gods in Egypt. They're used to these gods that if this one didn't work, <clears throat> my crops didn't fail, let's try the moon god. Uh, or uh, if one of my children is sick, let's try the river god. Or if my wife is not bearing children, let's call the tree god. Or the frog god, or the lizard god, or the snake god. Anything that moved or didn't move, they worshipped. They are going to get help from somebody. And that's what they were used to. So they say, yep, we're going to do it. You bet. Yep, yep. And God accepts that. He doesn't, he doesn't say, he doesn't wiggle a finger and say, if you don't. He does that later on. But we're going to see that. But right now he's saying, oh, good. We've got a deal here. <clears throat> and all the people answered together, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought that word back to people. Now it gets scary. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I shall come to you in a thick cloud, in order that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe in you forever. When they believed in Moses, they believed in God. Then Moses tells the words of the Lord to the people. Um, <clears throat> uh, th- this gets pretty scary here. Now, they're, they're, the, the, all of a sudden there's, there's fire coming out of the mountain. There's cloud. He comes down. He's in a cloud. Uh, the mountain shakes. There's like a hot furnace. Uh, and it's scary. And they're scared. They don't even come out of the camp. They don't even come out of the camp to go to the base of the mountain. They, they, okay, they've never seen anything like this. They saw all the other things happen in Egypt. This is something else, because this is God talking to them now. This is, you and I are going to go to something here. We're going to have some kind of an agreement here. So the mountain is shaking, roaring. There's darkness. It's not good. And they don't see and they don't realize the God of love that's behind this. I don't know if you remember uh, when Mike's been in Philippians when he talked about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, he spoke a well there when he said, you know, we're not, we, don't work our, we, we can't work our salvation. We can complete our salvation by following it, by understanding it, and, you know, by obeying it. But the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And the reason he did this, I'm going to, I'm going to turn to, uh, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to go to turn 24 of, uh, <clears throat> of uh, 
Exodus. No, I'm not. I'm going to 20. 2019 says, and they said, and then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself. Because they didn't want to hear God speaking again. When he spoke, it rumbled and it roared, and, and he wanted them to hear that. And he goes on to say, speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us, or we're going to die. Now that's fear. They're fearful. And Moses says to the people, don't be afraid. <laughs> Easy for you to say. You see what he said? You know, look at that mountain. The thing is, you know, ready to come down on us. But he says, don't be afraid, for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain in you so that you may not sin. That word testing isn't like pass, fail, pass, fail. It's just, it's a revealing of how you're going to react. It just shows something or reveals something. And when the Lord says this, and he says, in order that, uh, Moses talks about uh, the fear of the Lord, in order that you, the fear of him, may remain with you, and you may not sin. <clears throat> when we look at the fear of the Lord, so that we may not sin, we see something here that has been implemented, implemented throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, and does it work? We're going to see here in uh, um, after after they got done with their with their settlement, their covenant making, then they sat down and they had a meal, and that's significant. That's only in just I think in chapter twenty-four. It was just very look, almost looks insignificant. But they sealed it with a meal. They sat down, the elders of the church that were called together, and the Lord and Moses, they had a meal. They sealed it with a meal. Remind you of another covenant. How about the Lord's Supper? The Last Supper. Where Jesus raised that cup with his blood in it and said, this is a new covenant that I'm giving to you. So they had a meal again. A meal signifies a lot. A meal signifies... Life, refreshment, uh, uh, nourishment, all those kind of things. So they seal it with a meal. It's like today, you know, we'll toast. Yeah, I toasted this or I toasted that or we've got to seal this deal up. Maybe a handshake or something like that. But the meal did that. And so we have this meal after this first covenant here. And we have a meal after the new covenant, which we're living in today. Okay, so we see now that they say we're going to do this deal. Uh, we've got a meal that seals the deal. Everybody's on the same page. Okay. Uh, Moses is now instructed by the Lord to go up to the mountain again and get the commandments and get all the ordinances, what the people are to do. And what has happened is down below the mountain, they're getting restless. Moses is up there. Aaron is kind of taking care of the, the three million plus people or whatever. <clears throat> and they get restless. <clears throat> Most of you know this story well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, they tell Aaron, say, well, well, what's the deal here? Uh, Moses has been up there a while now, you know, he's 40 days. He's been up there. He ain't coming back. He either got devoured on the mountain or God killed him. We did something wrong here. 
See, they're, they're still thinking they're not accepted. They got scared. And so they go back to what they've learned living with the Egyptians. They start partying. And, you know, the Bible is very, uh, what can I say, very, uh, they're not indecent about it. But it's really a huge sexual party. A lot of drinking and, and things like that. Because sex involved, you've got to remember with all the whole Egyptian God thing, this is Satan behind it all. And anything that he can do to uh, make man a, a lesser object, to, to make him sin, to make him uh, defile things, he's going to do it. Sex is a huge one. He uses sex for a lot of things like that. And so they, they break out into a, a, a big sex party because they had a lot of sex gods. They had a lot of prostitutes in their temples and things like that. And so if they're going to party, they're going to party, and that's just what they do. And not only that, but they grab all their earrings and all the jewelry that they got uh, when, when Egypt uh, uh, gave them all their stuff. Get out of here. Take our stuff, you know. Well, they took all that stuff, and they melted it down into a calf. The Bible calls it a calf, a golden calf. But really, the Hebrew word, <clears throat> it's actually a, a, like a three-year-old, like a young bull. You know, and a bull, uh, you know, uh, typifies power and, and virility and things like that. And so this is what they've made now to worship. And even Aaron says, praise this object. This is the one that delivered you out of Egypt. Isn't that amazing how that could happen? But yet that happened. Now here is this group that just said just uh, six weeks ago, whatever God says, we're going to do. Took them about 40 days, and, and they not only violated it, they violated it horribly. So now you're God. What are you thinking? Well, I, you, you, got, you can get mad. I, I guess I'd get mad. And he does get mad. He gets upset. So now we have a God that He's still a graceful God. He's a loving God. But now we have a God of performance and punishment. God, you're our punisher now. We just made him our punisher. No longer is just living in grace. We've asked for this, and we got it. We got a punishing God. And so for the next Roughly 1,500 years, the law comes down, 613 roughly ordinances. This is how you live your life, and it's a bunch of do, uh, do's and don'ts for another 1,500 years. And sadly, this has hung on to most of us. We still think that we have a God that's a performance, performance punishment God, that that's how he works. But I'd ask you to turn to uh, Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 2. And we're going to look at something there that uh, is truly amazing. That the God of grace that started this whole covenant thing, that had to sit and watch his people uh, perish before him, watch his people 
sin against him, uh, watches people uh, deny him, even denying the, the great deliverance that they had out of Egypt. He had to watch that. And when we come to the New Testament, or the New Covenant, we see God saying, I'm done with this. I'm done with this performance punishment thing. It's over. I'm going to do one punishment, and that's going to be good enough. And I'm done. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it starts, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And believe me, that's not only us. That was the Hebrew children. That was every, everyone that's ever lived, dead in their trespasses and sins. In which we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the, in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, declaring us all unholy and guilty. But God, being rich in mercy, here we go, because of his great love with which he loved us, and even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ by grace that we've been saved. We have been granted a new covenant. Brand new covenant. You notice here, he did that all on his own. On his own initiative, out of his own heart, out of his own desire, out of his own will, you and I haven't moved. In fact, we're dead. There's a couple of illustrations I like. One is there's a guy, if you're laying at the bottom of the pool, dead. You, you're dead. You ain't moving. You can't do nothing. You know, the Lord showed me something this week. It's kind of, you know, it showed me a horse, a big black horse, a beautiful horse that had two busted legs. And there that horse laid there. That is a worthless horse. I know we got some horse people here. Sandals aren't here. I was going to ask them something this morning. Um, but what do you do with a horse like that? Put him down, right? He's worthless. And then I got thinking, well, Lord, what about all the, you know, they always say, well, I've got to put him down. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of horse movies, you know, about horses and stuff like that. And, you know, and the horses, uh, oh, this little girl falls in love with the horse, and we've got to put him down. See, I'm thinking, oh, come on, put, you know, put a splint on his leg. Just let him hobble around. You know, how many of us see a, a limpy horse on a farm or on a ranch? You don't see a limpy horse, do you? They get put down. So I, so I, I, I just kind of, I just started thinking, well, what else, what else do we see that we let limp? Well, how many times have you seen a dog on a, a you know, dogs got, you got three-legged dogs and you got three-legged cats and stuff like that. You know, other animals, you know, they can go around limping, but a horse, you just put him down. So then I thought, well, Lord, is there any other, you know, uh, let me think of something here, you know. So the next day on television, <laughs> there's a little news article, this chicken, they give him a prosthetic, an artificial leg. You know, they had to, they had, the ch- <laughs> they had the chicken limp. I said, really, Lord, thank you for that. that that's awesome. <laughs> you know, a limpy chicken, you know. 
But they, they give him a little, they fix his leg. They give him a little, another leg so he can walk, you know. But I thought that was kind of neat how he did that. But anyway, the, the picture was, and we're absolutely we're, uh, helpless. We're helpless. You know, and he tells us here, being dead in our trans- transgressions and sins, and he raised us up, verse 6, with him, and seated with him at the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, we're, we're not only repaired again, we're not only made holy by what he has done, we, we are already, <clears throat> God's mind works this way, but he sees things and he declares things before they even happen. And he does that with us now. He says, you're sitting in the heavenly places right now. Right now. That's where we're sitting. Boy, let your mind feed on that. You know, let your heart feed on that. But this, this, this whole thing of a grant covenant, he says, I am offering eternal life to the entire world. The world, every man, every woman that's ever lived, I am offering, I am granting this covenant to you. It's a grant covenant. It's not a kinship covenant. It's not an accountability covenant. <clears throat> any longer. It's a grant covenant. Now, when, when uh, Paul talks about that in chapter 5, says the same words, chapter 5 of Romans, chapter 6 he goes on to say, now wait a minute, I know what you're thinking, you're thinking I can go on sinning and I'm going to heaven and, and uh, no, this is where we're going with that with that uh, unconditional covenant with a conditional response. Wouldn't it be great if our prayer every day would be, Lord, I want to love you. Show me how, because love will get you through this. If you love him, done, you're in. Lord, show me how to love, love you. Show me, Lord, how I can get through all the hurts and prejudices and dislikes and bitterness and things inside of me. I just want to come to you and love you. I want to take this thing and I want to run with it. I don't want to look back. I don't want to look at myself every day and say, boy, did I sin today. That was bad. I want to say, if I did do something wrong, he's forgiven me. I can go on. All I got to do is confess it with him and say, Lord, that was bad. Thank you for forgiving me. Well, what a covenant. That's a covenant. That's the covenant. Let's wrap this up with Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Some of you that have been there on Sunday morning, we've been uh, talking about uh, going through the book of Hebrews, and we're going through the covenant thing in more depth. But in Hebrews chapter 12, start out in verse 18. <clears throat> For you, not, you have not come to a mountain that may be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind. I didn't, I didn't include that before back when we were talking in, in uh, Exodus 19, but there was a whirlwind going on with it. That must have been horrifying to be there at that mountain. And he goes on in 19, and to the blast of a trumpet. I forgot the trumpet, too. Now, not only this, you've got a trumpet blasting, and it's not a human blasted trumpet. It's from some heavenly out there trumpet that blasts a sound that, whoa, I hear that thing. 
So they're, they're hearing that. They're listening to that. And which is a sound that uh, was such that those who heard begged no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. This was a command that God gave back in, in Exodus 19. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. <coughs> Excuse me. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Moses said that? If Moses said that, that's a problem. He's our leader. He's the guy. He's our go-between with God. And he's scared? And Moses knew God. Moses knew how God's hand was on him all these, all these years, bringing him up. And he's scared. He's terrified. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels and of the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. This is us now. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. (coughs) And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. We are now included in that group. We now come to Mount Zion. We don't come to Sinai anymore. But sadly, sometimes the church does that. We go back to the performance punishment God. But now we have a grace God. We have a God that loves us. And he's doing everything he possibly can do to draw us in and have us to fall in love with him. This finishes with, uh, in 24, it says, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and sprinkled with blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Remember when we said earlier, we know, most of us know that the first children of Adam and Eve, the huge sin of murder. You know, they offered a sacrifice and, you know, one was rejected. You know, uh, Abel's was uh, received and, and and uh, God received that, but rejected Cain's. So Cain kills Abel. And Abel's blood, it says, just cried out. And what was it crying out for? Crying out for vengeance. <clears throat> His blood was saying, can somebody do anything about this? Can this just go on? I mean, can you just, you're just going to kill? And, and, and it's not ever going to be accounted for? So his blood was speaking out, all through generation after generation. When we sin, when the earth sins against God, sadly, there has to be justification. And we see that with Abel's blood. His blood cries out. Is no one going to avenge me here? But now we have Jesus with the new covenant. He's now the mediator. Justice is served. He died. We're set free. <coughs> and Titus it tells us <coughs> and Titus it tells us instead of looking at this covenant and saying, Oh good, I'm free to sin. What it says is no. Now that we have such great and wonderful promises, now let's live a life like we believe it. Let's let's walk in holiness. Let's walk in truth. 
Let's walk in love. That's what he's asking us to do today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. This is almost too, too good to be true. Uh, to wrap our minds around this and, and why you would do that. Why you would take all the atrocities of the world and put them on Jesus. Why you would do that, Lord. But by faith, we're going to accept that you did. And Lord, that's what changes us. The goodness of the Lord is what changes us. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that we no longer have to walk in fear, the kind of fear that rejects or turns away. And now we have a good fear, a fear that draws us, pulls us in, knowing that we're going to be accepted and loved and nourished. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.